Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Happy to be here today. Excited to finally introduce Shenandoah Connor. So Shenandoah uh, is my chief growth officer in many of my organizations, uh, and she also is going to be the co-host for our webinar or podcast, I should say, today uh, and for many other podcasts in the future. So with that, I wanted to give Shenandoah the quick opportunity uh, to say a quick hello to everybody. Shenandoah? Hello, everyone. Yep, Shenandoah Connor here, and I will be helping to drive this crazy train down down the road and uh, bring you lots of interesting interviews and insights on how to grow and manage your practice. And uh, Jonathan Cutton, if you uh, want to kind of give us a quick introduction about who you are and your background before we dive into today's interview, but that way they know who uh, the other voices on the airwaves today. Absolutely. And uh, when you say crazy town, you're not kidding. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and, uh, and a, lot, a lot of laughs. So uh, as always, super excited. So yeah, again, to kind of reintroduce myself um, and you know, really the purpose of the podcast is I am a, a Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, as uh, many of you may know. And really, I want to give back to the financial advisor community and help kind of pass along some of my learnings uh, since 1994, when I started in the industry, and really helped share that with our listeners. So the plan, as you know, Shenandoah, is to bring on lots of experts in the industry that we've been lucky enough to meet, uh, and really help share that with uh, our listeners. Excellent. Well, and that's why today for the podcast, we really wanted to focus a little bit more on uh, who you are, your background, your experience, and and why this passion and energy behind starting the podcast and what it's going to represent. And so first of all, I wanted to start off by really uh, getting to know you a little bit better and, and by focusing on how you got started in the industry, because there's a really interesting story there. If you want to go ahead and share that with everyone. Yes, absolutely. So um, again, I started in the industry in 1994. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, I live uh, in, uh, in New York, on Long Island, New York. Uh, but I started right out of college. So, uh, you know, currently I'm 47 years old, um, just some kind of background. I'm happily married. Uh, I've got four boys uh, ranging from a, a son who recently finished his sophomore year in college. Uh, I've got actually a son who just finished his senior year in high school, uh, a third son who just finished his sophomore year in high school, and my little guy just finished seventh grade. Um, and we're all out here uh, in New York. But I started after graduating from the State University of New York in Albany uh, back in 1994, right out of college. Uh, and I'll share with you two, two interesting pieces, Shen. So the first is when I um, actually decided to become a financial advisor. I mean, truth be told, I had a lot of fun in college. Uh, I played college soccer, like lots of us. Uh, I was there for a good time until about my junior year where uh, I decided it was kind of time to buckle down and figure out what I was going to do for a living. And I was lucky enough at the time uh, to get an internship with a very small company called IDS Financial Service, which for some of you uh, now know is, is now the uh, Ameriprise Financial. And um, the, the gentleman that I interned for when I was up at school in Albany was actually a very handsome man. Um, he's still with the, with the Indian industry. I won't use his name. Uh, his first name is Peter. And Peter actually was in really good shape. He came into work every day. He drove a porch. And he came into work every day at around 11 o'clock with his gym bag uh, over his shoulder uh, after coming to the gym, obviously. And I can tell you, Peter had a picture of a very pretty wife on his desk and two cute kids. Uh, and I just thought he was the man. And I decided that... Um, when I grew up, um, I wanted to be Peter, and that's exactly what I did. So by the time I actually graduated from college, I was fully licensed. Uh, I got my Series 7, and back then it was your 63 and your life and health, uh, and I started for the same company Peter worked for right out, of, right out of school. Interestingly enough, and I still tease this gentleman who's a mentor, 
uh, to me and has been for many years. His name, by the way, uh, is Orton Lorenzo, and Orton's someone who I have the utmost respect for. Uh, as I said, has been an unbelievable mentor. One of the themes that I think uh, we'll talk a lot about throughout the podcast is I want to bring on people who've built, uh, or I should say, who've made a very big impact in my life and my career uh, to the podcast. The story goes like this, so I'd love to bring Art on at some point, I guess is my point there. Story goes like this, I graduated from school um, and uh, interviewed with Art. So uh, I live out in Long Island. There's, there were two offices on Long Island. One was in a, a county called Suffolk County, which is where I lived then and still live. The other was in an area called Nassau County. Um, so uh, when I interviewed with Art, who was a very kind of by the book, straight lace, um, drill sergeant kind of guy and still actually is, Art told me that I didn't have enough sales experience to actually start uh, with the organization. So I'm a pretty resourceful person. Art actually told me I should go get a job at the Gap, um, <laughs> literally at the Gap, uh, exactly, uh, to sell some shirts, right? Some shirts and some jeans and uh, that that ultimately would give me the sales experience that I didn't have. So I did actually go get a job at the Gap but in the meantime, I did some research, which was harder to do back then, right? Because there was no internet and uh, all that kind of good stuff. And I realized, <laughs> yeah, no Google, exactly right. Uh, and I realized that there was another office in Nassau County, which was maybe 45 minutes or so uh, drive from my office. So I decided to go interview there as well. And I interviewed there uh, with another uh, mentor that I've gotten to know really well over the years. His name is Don Weaver. To make a long story short, Don was not very straight-laced and buttoned. Don met me for about 30 seconds and offered me the job. So I took the job, started to work in Nassau County, took about a week until they straightened it all out, uh, and then I got shipped back out uh, to Suffolk County, and I worked at the Gap for, I think, about a day and a half uh, or so before that all got worked out. But the reason I share that story is I, I went on to be you know, pretty, a fairly successful advisor, uh, have been one of the top three or so advisors at my own broker dealer for a long time. And I, I actually wasn't hireable right out of college. So I've learned a lot along the way. And you've heard me mention mentors a couple of times, Chen. So that's my role is I'd like to be a great mentor to folks all around the industry and to bring on some of the folks that have helped me along the way to help uh, our podcast listeners. Absolutely. And we'll get back to the mentoring and the leadership question here a little bit later. But um, I mean, you've been in, in business quite a while and seen uh, a number of ups and downs, you know, throughout your decades of, of experience, but uh, what would you say were the biggest things that really helped propel you forward and, and turn you into a Barron's Hall of Fame advisor today? Yeah, no, and there's, there's um, lots and lots of stories that I can tell. Uh, and, you know, as I think about it, that's a really good question. I, I would share, I would kind of answer that question, I think, in phases, right? So, you know, to go back to when I first started in the industry, um, I started in the industry, and quite frankly, I just did as I was told, right? So we had a lot of structure back then, uh, and you built your business on the telephone, right? So we had certain days on the week where it was not optional, which I, I mentioned uh Art before, who was a stickler. He, one of the first books he had uh, our group read as we went through our training program was called The West Point Way of Leadership. <laughs> I should probably try to drag that one out because, uh, you know, it was a long time ago that I, when I read it, but it's in, in essence talking about following a system, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Today, we talk about that from a leadership perspective. And uh, I have a phrase that you'll hear me talk about a lot, which is not operating level which basically is a fancy way to say, once you create a system, if you could focus on three to five, I call them KPIs, key performance indicators, that's where you're gonna drive your results. So early on, I followed the system, which back then was cold calling um, and setting appointments. And if you did that really well, ultimately it drove a whole bunch of activity and clients, et cetera, which by the way, back then a $2,000 IRA was a really good win. Um, but what I would share with you is the next phase of my career and where I think I really had a lot of my learnings is like a lot of young advisors, once you're successful, there's a mentor in your life that steers you towards a leadership role or a management role. 
Uh, so I got the quote unquote coveted management role. Um, I stayed in that role for about a decade and learned a lot about leadership, a lot about influencing others, a lot about communication and really helping people get what it is that they want for themselves, right? We call that today um, something that, that's known uh, as the Woody Woofy process. You heard it, that's right, Woody Woofy process. Say that three times fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> woody, exactly. Woody Woofy uh, process. Yes, Woody Woofy, Woody Woofy, Woody Woofy. Yes, there <laughs> we go. Uh, but it stands for what do you want for yourself? Another mentor, Doug Lenick, is known for this. And really what the Woody Woofy process is all around, is all about is helping other people get what they want for themselves. As I think about my career, I went through this leadership period, had a fair amount of success as a leader, and I had a yearning to go back into private practice. Quite frankly, got a little sick of the bureaucracy and kind of unnecessary meetings and wanted to go back and, and really be an entrepreneur. So I actually um, left my leadership position. It was me uh, at the time and I had one advisor. I always maintained a small practice. Uh, this takes me probably to about 2001, maybe 2000, 2001, somewhere in that range. And believe it or not, I finished the basement in my old house, and that was my office. It was me, uh, a young man back then who's now an older man like me, uh, who's still with me today. His name is Kevin Grantman. And we worked in what we referred to as the lower level, right? We didn't call it the basement because that didn't sound very official. So we were in the lower it's all level. About, it's all about, uh, you know, marketing it just right. It's that the lower level elevates it a little bit. <laughs> 100%, the mezzanine, the lower level, oh, yeah. uh, whatever it may be. Uh, it's all so about I, perspective. <laughs> 100%. Um, so we, um, it, was, it was Evan and I, and we probably had maybe 25 or 30 million under management at that point. And that led us to really kind of look at things. I had all this experience as a leader. I had been in the financial services industry at that point for, I guess, 98 or nine years, give or take somewhere along those lines, or seven or eight years, I guess it was. And I looked at it and just thought to myself, how do I grow this thing, right? Using the leadership skills that I have. Uh, and how do I create quantum growth, right? The name of our podcast here. Mm -hmm. And what the first thing that we did is we started to partner with CPA firms. So we were doing, we, we were doing uh, dinner seminars back in the day and working with interns to make phone calls and Evan was doing some of that work for me and everything was about creating leverage, right? How, how do you create leverage? Um, so we started to look at things and said, in addition to the seminars and the cold calling, I thought it would be better to start to partner with CPAs. I decided to figure that out. Uh, I looked at it and they said, it would be better to fish with the proverbial net than with a pole, right? Meaning let's not get one client at a time. Um, but let's fish with a, with a net and get many clients at a time. Um, so I built my first CPA relationship very, very late 2001. So I guess my timing was, was about right before uh, with a gentleman by the name of Ken Serini. Ken is actually a coach in Cutton Consulting Group, which is a coaching company uh, that we have that today teaches financial advisors and CPAs how to work together. Um, but Ken and I built a relationship. I won't go into the details of how we actually built that, but that led to being able to bring on dozens of clients a year from one relationship, as opposed to one client per cold call, right, or per 100 cold calls, which led to me doubling down on that and deciding to go out and build multiple relationships with CPA firms. So today, our firm works with over 60 firms. Uh, 60 CPA firms, that is, and has very, very solid uh, partnerships with most of those firms. But Ken was my first. So that was one of the keys to go back to the question, which was kind of, how did we start to create this growth and what were some of the keys? It was learning how to create leverage, right? So CPA leadership, I would say, really, really key component to the success. Working with CPAs, learning how to create, um, you know, a, a system and process that can provide ongoing client acquisition, right? So I coined a term years ago, eat later, or I should say eat now versus eat later marketing. So eat mm -hmm. now marketing is what I had done up to that point. I did activities that can bring clients in literally a week or two later from a phone call or, or from a uh, dinner seminar. 
right? Direct response, real easy. 30 days later, you have a new client that you might have brought on. But it's one at a time and you have to always do it. Eat later marketing is where you delay gratification, right? Sometimes it might take 90 days, six months, a year, even longer. Uh, and that was kind of working with CPAs. That's what that was like for us, which really brought the practice to the next level. Um, and then the last piece I'll share, and as you know, I give long answers sometimes, Jen. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's my way, but I do want to be thorough, um, is we then started to acquire practices, right? So I talked a little bit about having four boys, right? Uh, and you can kind of think about the timing here, and I might not get the exact dates right, but I had an opportunity um, that kind of fell on my lap to buy a financial planning practice. Uh, it was actually in New Jersey, which was about a three-hour, two-and-a-half, three-hour drive. Anybody out in New York knows what it's like to go over the George Washington, or as we call it here in New York, the GW uh, bridge, and had an opportunity to buy about a $40 million practice, 40 million of assets, which was a good size practice back then, uh, still is in many regard. And what I actually decided to do at this point, it's really important, is um, Evan, who I mentioned before, who at, at, the, at that time was probably the ripe old age of 26, maybe, maybe 27. He was with me for probably four or five years, was not client facing, wasn't dealing with clients at all at that point, was really just my assistant, quite frankly, but he had gotten licensed, right? And here's what I decided to do, probably the biggest risk I ever took, um, and the greatest risk that I ever took, is I looked at it and I said, you know what, Evan? We're gonna get you ready to work as a financial advisor and you're gonna, take on this opportunity in Jersey because you're not married and you don't have children and you can do it. And he nodded his head. I think he was really, really shocked and nervous. And I asked him if he thought he could do it. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. And uh, I'm laughing because anything I ask Evan today, I always get the same answer is, yeah, I can figure it out. Uh, and he generally does. So to again, kind of fast forward, I bought this business in New Jersey, put Evan into the big bad world of being a financial advisor. We sat down in my basement and I taught him everything I could possibly teach about how to conduct a meeting. And I put trust in Evan and to my um, delight and to my surprise, uh, when all was said and done, the retention rate on the acquisition was 99%. Clients took to Evan, uh, he served them really well, he did new business, he won new business, he got referrals. There were certainly some you know, hiccups, let's say, uh, along the way. But my learning from this was that being a financial advisor, being the person who serves the relationship is not rocket science. I don't want to take anything away from it. We need to be competent. We need to do a great job. We need to be service-minded. All that stuff is really, really, really important. Um, but it's actually a role that someone else can do for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was a big learning. So leadership, CPA partnerships, practice acquisitions, if I think about those pieces and probably add competitive recruiting, right, being able to bring talent in, uh, if you could put those four pieces together, three or four pieces together, that would be how I would best describe how I've gone from working in the the the, the seller, so to speak, or the lower right. level, as we like to call it, the mezzanine, uh, to owning a building today and building a you know, pretty successful business that we're really, really proud of and, and have a lot more to do. Well, and kind of along those lines, what I'm hearing the most too is during that time, your role has changed and you had to learn how to transition. And there was a couple of times where you had to uh, have an external wake-up call as to you did well and you um, kind of did all you could in this role, but now it's time for your role to change and for you to plug someone else into that role. So in this Last story you told, you realized you don't have to be the client facing person in order for you to scale and grow. You can transfer your knowledge to someone else, plug them into that role and help them grow. And then, you know, then you can go and look for that next opportunity and that next person to plug in. And I think that's something that a lot of financial advisors struggle with. It's the uh, e-myth on the you know, business world where you might've been a really great employee, but it's a different skill set. It's a different mindset to transition into that entrepreneur, business owner role. Um, so if you want to speak to that just a little bit, making that transition from being a client facing financial planner, financial advisor to being a business owner. 
well, really well said. And uh, audience, you could probably see why I have Shen as my host, <laughs> right? She's she's good at this. Um, yeah, I, I you know I think what you what you had just shared is um, is very profound, right? So I go to a lot of industry com- conferences, whether it be a Barron's conference or Forbes, uh, and get to rub elbows with really successful advisors, right? Uh, and I go to other uh, conferences as well, and I often am asked, "What's what's your key, right? What's the what's the magic pill? How'd you how'd you create uh, a, a large, successful, growing business?" Uh, and I I almost always answer it the same way, right? And we've all heard this. This is not new information, right? It's you have to learn how to really become the CEO, right? How do you have that CEO mentality? Uh, and how do you go from not working in the business, right, and actually working on the business, right? You you referenced E-Myth. Um, there's a great book that I can highly recommend. Um, maybe this is someone as well. We've got, you know, as you know, Chen, uh, a, a stable of podcasts, uh, speakers that I'm really excited about uh, mm-hmm. bringing on that are going to provide a tremendous amount of value. But I, I read a book, I, I, I don't know him yet, um, but I'd like to, I think. And the name of the book uh, is The Ensemble Practice. And it was the written Ensemble by, Practice? Yep, The Ensemble Practice, uh, written by Philip Palaviv. And um, he'd be a great person to get on the podcast. He doesn't know what an impact his book made in my career, but I'd like to share that with him. Well, um, make sure he knows now. Yeah, ex- exactly. Ex- <laughs> we'll exactly get him on right. here. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll figure that out. That'll be my <laughs> thing to figure out. <laughs> Perfect. Love it. That was a little little pre-selling, by the way, for you. <laughs> um, but uh, his, his, his uh, premise is, in essence, it's, it's worth about hundred dollars to $150,000 a year to be a financial advisor. Right. Um, but yet lots of financial advisors make hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year. Um, and and that's really because the job of being the advisor, giving the advice, as an example, is not necessarily where all of the profitability. Right. The profitability comes in by being that CEO, by building repeatable, scalable processes, having the leadership ability to ultimately influence the people that work for you to bring your vision to life. Um, but, but quite frankly, the profitability and the equity value of the business comes from being able to have a business filled with people who can actually bring that value proposition to life for your clients, right? So I think you're spot on in your question which is really, that's, that's what I try to focus all of my time on. I, I'm not really a client-facing advisor anymore. Maybe I sit in a meeting or two a year when it's necessary and just to kind of remember what it's like. Um, but I spend all my time, 99.9% of it, not working in the day-to-day, but working on the business and making sure uh, that the vision comes to life. You, the audience is gonna love um, Paul Latham who uh, is a dear personal friend of mine. You're gonna love his accent as well. Um, I'll, I'll, I, won't, I won't share more there. You'll have to wait until he comes on, but he has a, 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 a very good way, good, good witty way, uh, let's say, of explaining things. Um, he is a, uh, a chartered accountant uh, from the UK or a past chartered accountant. And he's got this thing, he talks about, um, what his role, by the way, or his, in, in essence, specialty is helping business owners, right? Whether it be a financial advisor, a CPA firm, or quite frankly, a widget maker, any business, right? Uh, He has this great way of explaining how to properly grow a business and be an entrepreneur. Teaches CPAs ultimately how to help their high net worth business owners grow their businesses and become more profitable, which is a big part of what we do uh, as well, which will kind of come full circle throughout the podcast. He has this saying, he talks about vision, plan, and desire. Vision, plan, and desire. I call it VPD. And he calls it the three ingredients for business success. Really straightforward, really simple, not rocket science as you hear me talk about it. But a vision is pretty simple, right? It's about having a vision of what it is you're trying to build and where you're trying to go in your practice or any business. In this case, it's financial advisors. 
What Paul says in an English accent, which I will not try to actually replicate right here because I don't have the best English accent. <laughs> but he, he says, you need to have a vision. And then he says, you need to write plans, W-R-I-T-E. And I heard him say this dozens of times. And then he said, write plans. And I looked at that and I said, that's the key that most people don't do is they don't actually write down what it is that needs to happen to bring that vision to life. And it's usually five KPIs, right? Five key performance indicators of things that need to be driven home and people need to do on a consistent basis to ultimately be successful. And the D is desire, right? And the desire is all around, right? Holding yourself, or holding others accountable to actually make sure that those KPIs occur. And when you can do that as the CEO of your own business, or for that matter, as a sole practitioner, financial advisor, so you can hold yourself accountable to that, ultimately that's how you achieve your goals. So Paul spends a lot of time, and I learned a lot from Paul talking about measurement, right? So you right. have a vision, five or so, pieces of the plan, and then you have the desire in place along with measurement of those goals. And if you can consistently hit your KPIs 90% of the time, make sure that you're working that plan 90% of the time, there's really nothing that you can't accomplish. And that's where the whole leadership component, uh, I, I think, starts to come into play. No, that's excellent. And I think focus is another one of those things that advisors lack. And that's where writing the plan and having those key performance indicators is essential. Um, and I'll add, this is my two cents in, uh, a lot of times people think the key performance indicator is what's the lag measure. I don't know if you're familiar with the four disciplines of execution by Covey and um, and they, yeah, and they the lead versus lag measures. And so often you're chasing revenue, you're chasing AUM, you're chasing all these other things. But those five KPIs are the five activities, actions that are gonna get you there. And that's what you focus on. Are you making enough phone calls? Are you reaching out to enough CPAs? Are you having enough financial planning meetings? Whatever those KPIs actually are that are gonna drive the needle. Uh, that's what you need to focus on and, and uh, avoid you know, chasing squirrels and shiny objects, which is what gets a lot of people in trouble. A hundred percent, couldn't agree more. Paul calls that, by the way, I like the chasing shiny ob uh, objects. He calls it being a plate spinner, right? right, right. And we're all, all, all of us as CEOs of our own business are spinning dozens of plates sometimes. And the problem is, is if you're focusing on too many and not the two or three or four right ones, um, a lot of the plates start off and you never get to the, the ones that I like to call that are the critical inch. The critical inch? Yeah, yeah, I talk I talk a lot in my organization about the critical inch, right? Or you know, some people call it wigs, right? Wildly right, important well, goals. Mm -hmm. So it's it's again, there's lots of different ways to ways to say things, right? Um, but it all goes down to vision, plan, desire. That's how I like to look at it. And anything in life or business can be accomplished, right? If you have a plan in place and you work you know, you work that plan. That's, that's what, that's what people struggle with, right? It's easy to have a vision for some people. It's hard to understand the components to the plan, right? And that's something that not everybody's good at, but once you have the plan in place, um, you know, 95% no, of people just don't work the plan, right? Yeah. It goes in a drawer somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like my diet. Right. <laughs> kind of like my, my quest for uh, losing 20 pounds. So we all uh, we all have our issues with desire at, some, at times, right? Yeah, something to work towards. But Jonathan, I, you know, it hasn't always been sunshine and roses for you. There have been challenges. You know, right now we are in the middle of a very unique challenge with uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic causing a lot of changes and challenges for advisors. But um, Obviously, we haven't had a pandemic before. It's it's unique, but it's not your first time facing challenges or um, even you know facing and making mistakes in your own practice. So, if you want to tell us about those times when things didn't quite go so smoothly and uh, what you learned from those situations. How much time do you have, Shen? <laughs> we don't have that much time. So, if you want to focus on kind of like either the most painful experience or the the most valuable learning experience. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. No, Maybe no, I, that I, scope a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was teasing, um, but uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, here, here's the, the, the thing that, you know, that I want to share and part of, you know, why I do this podcast, quite frankly, is um, we all have issues, right? The more I get to know people as I get a little bit older, everyone's dealing with something, right? In their personal life, health issues, family issues, children issues, um, pandemic issues, right? As we're, we're all living through this right now. So nobody's life is what you see on Instagram or LinkedIn or social media, Facebook, et cetera. Um, but I, I, there are a couple of big ones that probably stick out throughout my career. So I would share, um, we go back to the last major market correction. I was in kind of hyper growth, right? And I did at the time my largest acquisition, which I was a little concerned about. I knew I was kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. And I happened to do that in 2008, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, Great timing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And, uh, and truth be told, I just did two large acquisitions actually in January of 2020 as well, my two largest ever. So if you, if you want to actually know when not to act, when to get out of the stock market, just um, you know, kind of find out when I'm about to make a large acquisition. And generally, uh, it's a good, good indicator for time to exit. <laughs> the market. But, um, you know, we, we bid off a big practice. The markets did really, really poorly. We overstaffed at the time to be able to take advantage of this opportunity. And I will just share, it was probably the most difficult time in my career where I was really scared. Didn't know if we were going to be able to meet, meet our commitments, if we were going to need to let staff go. Um, didn't know how we were going to pull it off. I was thinking about making a change to try to monetize the business and, and just, just stay in business, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it was, you know, we're going back, that's now 12 years ago. So I was 35, little kids, mortgage, you name it. Uh, really, really stressful time. And um, a decision that I now can look back and say it was a good decision. That business was a great buy. But I'll tell you, for two, you know, two or three years, or 18 months, let's say, to two years, uh, it was really, really difficult. You know, my learning from that was probably twofold. One, uh, it gave me confidence, which was I can actually get through anything if I figure out how to rework it, right? And reworking it was, we trimmed some expenses, we sold the bottom end of the book, I mean, truth be told, um, we probably didn't need to in hindsight, but we, we battened down patches. And I worked harder than I ever did in my life, making sure that we were growing every other facet of the business through our CPA partnerships, through referrals from existing clients, through doing proper planning for our clients and really went kind of into beast mode uh, so to speak, and making sure that the operation was running smoothly, which led to probably my, my other biggest blunder. Um, and I still struggle with this one a lot. I am probably one of the world's best delegators I've become, um, but it wasn't always that way, right? So I had, had a little, which I think we all have a little, if I do it myself, it'll be done right. A little kind of control freak and not trusting in people. Right. So I think it's John Maxwell. And by the way, guys, I'm a very big podcast listener to myself. Right. So I probably consume somewhere between eight and 10 hours a week worth of podcasts. Uh, I love it. I, I, I always want to learn. Right. So I'm the same way. I'm the same way. <laughs> it's, it's how you get better. Right. If you're not learning yeah. and growing, then, you know, how, how do you get better? Right. You, you stay the same. Uh, so I think it's a major competitive advantage. Mo most of my stuff, by the way, you'll all learn this, so I might as well be really transparent up front. It's stolen from other people. I, I didn't make most of this stuff up. It's other people's good ideas. I try to remember to give credit for where I learned it where I can. So mm -hmm. in this case, uh, John Maxwell, I think, just put out a book uh, recently, and I think the title of the book is, um, I, could, I could be missing the title. I might, might have the title wrong, but the concept is, connecting versus directing, right? So there's two ways to lead, connecting as a leader or directing as a leader. And I have spent most of my career, probably up until the last 
four to five years where I've gone through a lot of personal growth myself as a leader, being a director, right? So telling people what to do and holding them accountable to do it. So I've always had a good vision. I've always had a good plan in place. And what I did is I didn't trust people's desire. And instead of allowing them to show me that they can execute and they do have that desire, I just assumed that they didn't and I directed them. I held them highly accountable, uh, which, which I was gonna say probably, not probably, which made me a very difficult person to please and a very difficult person to work for slash with, right? So I spent a lot of time and energy over the last few years really working on connecting, right? I talked about the Woody Woofy process before, which again is a quiz, Shen. Do you remember what Woody Woofy stands for? What do you want for yourself? There we go. Okay, so for, the, for, for, for those of you, by the way, who are not watching on video, uh, you wouldn't know that Chen just looked down and read her notes. <laughs> yep, I take notes. <laughs> well, I was also trying to find that uh, actual book title too, so we could give it to the listeners. But uh, John Maxwell reads way too many books, and so it's hard to discern which one it is. Yeah, I think it's a new one. Like I said, I might I might have botched the name, um, but that was the the concept behind it. But you know, wh where I am now, and and when you get to this side, I think. It's where you're about to really, really have major growth in your life, not just your business, but in your life, is when you, when you have the ability and the desire to truly connect with people because you want to help them get what they want for themselves personally, professionally, um, from a you know, personal growth perspective, um, and you actually understand what makes people tick, right? what are their core values, what's their mission, what's their values, what is it they want for themselves in their future? If you understand that and you can start to connect people to that um, and lead them to get to, you know, what, what, uh, you know, what I like to call their Kwan, right? Which is mm -hmm. their happiness from the old Jerry Maguire uh, movie. Um, you're, you're in a much more peaceful state. And I think what you get is you get people who are really all about bringing the firm's mission to life together, all really working towards a common goal. So I will share, as I think back, um, in my, my first few years in the business, we went through, um, I think it was called the Colby test, which I think still exists today, one of those personality tests. I know there's lots there's of them. A million of them, yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, I think we used the, the DISC process yeah, uh, for, H, yeah, for HR and all that, but um, you know, I was when I was when I was tested on Colby. Um, one of the uh, personality types was a driver, right? So I tested like ninety nine percent driver, right? So that's what my natural DNA is. Um, I like to just drive results, drive people, and you know, kind of get done, so to speak. Um, I had a nickname in the office. Um, it was, I won't, it's a not customer. a pleasant one, I assume. <laughs> Driver A space space H O L A. So, yep. so not a pleasant one, not at yeah, all. So it was not, it was not, a, it was not a pleasant one. Um, but that, that's, that's one of the things that as I look back in my career, it's, it's, uh, it has a lot to do with how I've grown and become successful. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I could have done it in a higher quality way, connecting better with all that being said, I think I've always treated everyone with respect and dignity in the right way, but I just drove people. Um, and what I've learned from that is not everyone wants to be a, a million dollar plus producer. Not everyone wants to make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Um, there are folks that just want to do a really good job, feel valued, um, you know, connect with people uh, and go home and, and be done. Um, and I've had to kind of rewire myself a little bit. Um, but again, those would be the two um, blunders. One was probably more economic, and the other I think was more of a, you know, kind of a leadership style uh, that I've been, been working on. And uh, I'm happy to say, I think, I think I'm getting a lot better at it. I completely understand. My nickname was the bulldozer because I'm also one of those high D, get her done kind of personalities. 
Um, and, you know, learning that emotional intelligence, learning how to, uh, you know, like you said, not just what do you want for yourself, but what do others want for themselves and being able to help them draw that connection is a really critical part to leadership. And I think I might've found that book you were mentioning. Um, tell me if this sounds familiar. Everyone communicates, few connect, what the most uh, effective people do differently. Think so. Yep, yeah. that makes, that Don, makes sense. Don Maxwell, which I, I just got leadership by him. I, I read a John Maxwell book, I think, every other month because I think he makes one every other month. Yeah, no, you, and you know what, Jen? It's leadership. That's what it is. Oh, it is? Yeah. I actually when, know yeah. Right yeah. yeah. When you get into leadership, that's that's the, the concept. Like I said, I didn't, I didn't read the book yet, um, but I've, I've listened to Don talk about it uh, on his podcast. Yeah, and it's that, like we, we were talking about, um, you know, uh, at another time is that shift to that CEO mindset from being a financial advisor, from being an employee, from being just a producer to being a leader and making all those different shifts that you need to make in order to make that transition. Um, you know, it's the first, everything starts with mindset, then you build the skills and then you build the, and you're building the team sometimes at the same time like they say with entrepreneurs, they're the ones that jump off the cliff and build the wings on the way down. <laughs> yep, sounds, sounds about right. Yes. Figure it out on the way down. Absolutely. Um, well, and with a lot of this too, and kind of your lessons learned and everything that you've built, um, I, I know I've heard you say this before that you were wanting to take all of your experience, everything that you've learned and, and been able to apply in your own practice and really transition that to the financial advisor industry. And you mentioned Cutton Consulting Group, that being more of your coaching arm. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, about how you're trying to take all of your experience, everything you've learned, and really start sharing that, not just through this podcast, but through your Cutton Consulting Group platform. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the I guess, the, I think the goal and vision there, as you said, is to really just give back to the financial advisor, right? So. Um, I, I, I like to listen to podcasts because quite frankly, um, there is no sales, uh, you know, technique to it. There is no one trying to sell you anything or anything along those lines. I have to be totally transparent. Don't know where this will go. Here's my hope. My hope is that people love this podcast, learn, get better, grow, um, and it continues to build. And the more folks that I can actually reach or we can reach and the guests that are kind enough to come join us uh, that we can reach and help people get what they want for themselves. Um, I have a coach myself and um, he took me through an exercise and we'll learn about some of this throughout some of the other podcasts. Uh, we do this with all of our clients. In fact, we go through a value exercise with our clients. Um, my coach uh, who, whose name is Ray Kelly, by the way, uh, we'll definitely uh, have on for sure, probably more than once. Uh, Ray actually took me through what's called a pulling card exercise, right? So kind of helping you find what is your calling in life? I know this stuff sounds a little bit corny. You know, my, my calling, I mean, from a business perspective, I've got other you know, pieces from my family life and spiritually and things like that that are equally as important. But from a business perspective, I've been really fortunate. You know what? I came from pretty humble beginnings. You know, I think everyone has a story like that, it seems, these days. But you know what? I didn't grow up with much money. Uh, my parents went through a bankruptcy uh, when I was, you know, in college. So uh, I worked really, really hard, started with nothing. And a lot of it um, came, I don't want to say came easy. I was just, I was always good at, in this industry, not at everything in my life, but at being a financial advisor, at really just kind of connecting the dots, if that makes sense, right? And connecting the dots of how to build this thing. Um, and it doesn't come quite as easy to all financial advisors, right? One of my mentors has a great saying that a great financial advisor has the heart of a social worker and the mind of a capitalist. Um, and I think there are a lot of financial advisors out there that have the social worker gene, but they're missing the capitalist gene. And the capitalist gene meaning how to grow a business, right? How to be a real entrepreneur, uh, et cetera. And, and that's quite frankly what I wanna help with. So from a consultant's perspective, my consulting arm probably represents less than 1% of my revenue, uh, my take home revenue. So it's really less about having anybody 
um, ever uh, have to pay us for anything. It's a lot more just about giving back so people can grow and hopefully take some good ideas uh, and implement them in their own their own lives. No, excellent. And I think that's the thing um, too, is just the, you know, everybody's going to take it kind of how they will. And with anything, you know, like you said, nothing you're saying is new. You've got some processes and things that you've developed in your own practice, but a lot of what you know about leadership and doing business, you learn from others. It's really about that application. There's plenty of information out there. There's plenty of ways to learn, um, but really being able to take it and apply it is critical. And I know you've been trying to build in some more accountability processes and what you're doing to really help um, advisors really achieve, you know, those, those different changes, but maybe kind of talk to that. We, we touched on it earlier, but that accountability component to taking what you learn and doing something with it. Um, if you want to speak to that a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I, I will, as you were talking, I had had a, another thought just as usual rushing through my brain. <laughs> right. So three words, right. Those three words are think, act, do. Mm -hmm. Right. What does that mean in English? How you think, ultimately impacts how you act, which ultimately impacts what you do. So, you know, when, when the reason I share that is my hope when you really kind of think about why, why we're putting this together, is I want to change the way people think, right? I want to change the way advisors think because they tune in and listen to our content regularly. I think when you finish with the content, it's going to give you a perspective on a building block that I was able to successfully use, and in most cases, other advisors were able to successfully use to really grow their business, right? Someone who has some knowledge or expertise somewhere that I've been able to use as a building block. So I wanna share that building block, which I think will change the way some of our listeners, hopefully all of our listeners think, right? Mm -hmm. And if they think about it enough and delve deeper into those topics, what will actually start to happen if they believe in it, it'll change the way they act. So it'll change the things that they do, i.e. their KPIs, the things that they do on an everyday basis. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately will change who they become. And, you know, so my goal is not to be, to answer the question a little bit more directly, the person who provides accountability, right? I won't be able to do that for listeners all around the country, but I want our listeners to be able to become self-aware enough because the reality of it is when you're really self-aware of what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, why you're not achieving your goals, ultimately um, that's the first step. I think it's the number one attribute of a successful person in life. And this has nothing to do with being a financial advisor. It could be a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a, a clergy person, it, it, it doesn't matter uh, who it is, but when you're self-aware and you really understand who you are, right, and what you want to become and what your values are, when you connect the dots on that, it becomes really clear and it becomes really evident what has to happen to become that person, right? So my coach's uh, firm is, a, is amazing, by the way, and Doug Lenick, who I mentioned before, uh, is the uh, the founder of the firm. Ray Kelly is my personal coach. Their tagline is making your ideal self your real self. So here's a pitch. They have a podcast as well. Check it out. Um, I think it's called Think the Number Two Perform. And I've learned a ton from Ray and Doug and his team just on how important leadership and self-awareness uh, is and ultimately um, you know, building something successful, right? So, it, so the measurement part of things and the accountability part of things, you can really only do that for yourself first. If you can't do that for yourself, you can't do it for others. And you'll only do it for yourself if you become really clear on what it is you're trying to do um, and what it is you want to become, how you make your ideal self your real self. Absolutely. And I think that's really important, uh, starting with yourself. Uh, you always have to lead by example. Uh, never expect something out of other people you're not willing to do yourself. And uh, 
my background, I did a lot of change management and uh, always, if we can't get the leader to, to, to lead and start with that process first, no one else is going to do it um, until you do it. So very, very important. A hundred percent. And, you know, as I know, we, we're about out of time here and need to start right. to wrap. Um, here's what I wanted to share, Shen. As we're going through this, if, if the listeners can't hear it, I'm pumped. <laughs> I, re <laughs> I really am. You know what? Um, this is going to be even better than I hope um, because we have so many good things to share. And I really think it is what advisors need. Um, and whether, whether you're an advisor who's doing a couple hundred thousand a year in revenue or a couple million in revenue, um, you know, what, what I really believe is, um, you know, I have a saying, what got you here won't get you there. Mm -hmm. Right. So what got you to 200,000 won't get you to four. What got you to a million won't get you to two. Um, so, you know, I built the business, right. Um, and made a lot of mistakes along the way that is approaching 20 million a year in revenue. Right. So to build a business approaching 20 million a year in revenue, I remember what it was like to do a million and how hard it was to get to two. And I remember how hard it was to get from eight to 10 and you know 10 to 15 and i'm going to learn what it's going to take to get to 20 and then 20 to 40 right so you know wherever you are in your career the likelihood is is myself um the guest that we will be bringing on has coached people or been in that role right so we're going to bring on very successful advisors leaders coaches specialists and cpas um it, you, 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 you know, when you really kind of think about it, um, I think there'll be something for everyone and little nuggets of information that people will be able to grab and hopefully, you know, take and actually put into their lives and into their practice. Right. And speaking about like those nuggets, any links or books or anything like that that we've mentioned or, or other podcasts, I'll be putting that in the show notes so that way you can go back and find them uh, later on and be able to link to that. But um, I do think that that wraps us up. Um, unless you have any other parting words that you want to share. I don't know if I want to open up the can of worms or not. <laughs> but, yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'll keep it short and sweet. And I'll end with I am pumped and look forward to uh, speaking to everybody on our next podcast. I sincerely hope everyone uh, enjoyed it and took a couple of, of nuggets. Yes, and we'll have some really great uh, interviewees coming up soon and, and additional podcasts. We'll be drilling down deeper into some other topics about uh, growing your practice and becoming the leader and, and changing your mindset, all the things we touched on today. So thank you, everyone. Uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks, Shen. Great job today. Thanks for all your help. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.